feel like you were born in the wrong era? Do you pine for a time gone by? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Kaya Handley. Welcome to This Retro Life. What do you love to collect? We have featured so many people who have a real passion for curating and restoring and lovingly finding everything from vintage Pyrex to clothing, records and cars. And today's guest is no different, except instead of keeping these precious items for himself, he does them up, modernises them just a little bit so our beloved smartphones can talk to these vintage beauties and then he sells them to you. Fellow lovers of old things, let me introduce you to Alan Chiang from Retro Radio Farm, who says his passion for old radios started a little bit by chance. Well, it started about six years ago at a flea market. My wife dragged me to this antique market. I wasn't an antique guy. I had had nothing I wanted to buy, so I was kind of bored. I've always been a tinkerer. I liked, you know, old things, but I, I wasn't an antiquer or I wasn't a radio repair guy or anything like that. But I saw these two old radios and um, they were $15 each and they were bright turquoise and white and all these fancy knobs and everything. And uh, I just thought, wow, that those are really cool. You know, those are really cool. And you know something, even though I'm not into radios, it seems like $15 would be a pretty safe bet. So I just bought those. And I was like, well, I plugged them in when I got home and they didn't work. So now I had some shelf art. <laughs> I decided to you know, go Google how to fix tube radios. And then I figured out how to do it. And here I am. Was that a challenging process, those first two radios and, and fixing them up? It was to a limited extent. I, I do have a background in electrical engineering, so I kind of knew the concepts. But, you know, the the textbook and the reality are are completely different, right? So when I opened up these two radios, they were full of dust. They were full of mice droppings. Who knows what else? Right? <laughs> they're, they're all this really gross stuff, right? So they didn't tell us that in the textbook. So I had to figure <laughs> out how to sort through all that and then and then repair it because electronics have changed since back in the 50s. So a lot of things that uh, they did back then, they don't do anymore. So there's really nowhere to look to see, to, to find out how to repair that stuff. So I just, you know, I just figured it out and then I got it to work. <laughs> when you plugged it in and it worked for the first time, was that when you were truly hooked? <laughs> yes. So when I first plugged it in, it did not work. I went out and bought some parts and it still didn't work. Then I tinkered and tinkered and asked around, and eventually I did get it to work after a lot of hard work and trial and error. And then when I turned it on, the lights came on, and and then I waited for the tubes to warm up, and then the sound started coming out. And uh, we had gotten used to listening to iPad and our iPhones, you know, on the kitchen counter. So I'm used to that, you know, tinny kind of flat sound, you know, albeit full spectrum frequency, but still coming from a speaker no bigger than a pencil eraser. Mm. So to hear the sound come out of a speaker that's, you know, driven with high voltages and high heat uh, is a totally different audio characteristic. And then uh, my wife came into the room and said, whoa, what's that sound? That sounds good. And then we realized that, boy, this stuff not only looks great, but guess what? It's, it sounds pretty good, too. There's really no going back from that, is there? Once you once you hear that sound, it's like playing vinyl as well. Once you hear that sound, it's very hard to go back to the modern sounds of radio and, and technology through our phones and tablets. I totally agree with that because even though sound is reproduced digitally, digitally these days, you know our ears are still analog. We, we don't have robotic ears. We don't listen to music 
electronic, you know, <laughs> through digital ears. We yeah. listen through analog, right? The, the air that we breathe, the sound that travels through it is all an analog medium. So ultimately, the, the device that plays the sound, uh, as much as it can be analog, uh, will sound better. Two turquoise beauties started the passion, but did it start a collection for Alan? You might be surprised to hear not. For Alan, it's the joy of doing the radios up and sending them on, giving them that second lease on life. So as soon as I finished working on these radios, I don't want them around anymore. Because <laughs> quite honestly, you know, it, to, to me, it's, it's about the repairing. It's about unlocking the secrets, opening up the box and finding out, you know, just what's been going on with this radio for the past 50 years. And then trying to learn the history, you know, I can tell this person was a smoker. I can tell this radio was in a room full of pets. This was a carpet, the radio that stayed in the carpeted room. This was in the workshop. So all these types of clues are, are more interesting to me than when the radio is finished and then sitting on a shelf ready to play music. By that point, I'm like, get it out of the house. I want to work on another. <laughs> so you have none? <laughs> I have none that I, I keep personally. Yeah, right, right. So you didn't even keep one for the shelf yourself. I have a few radios that I haven't gotten around to posting on the internet. Yeah. And I've got a few that I've got a few that my wife says, don't sell that one. That one's my favorite. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of weeks go by and then she'll say, get rid of it. It's getting my way. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. At least you're on the same page. Yeah. I love the idea that these are little time capsules, that what you were saying there, that you can tell almost exactly how they've been looked after, where they've been looked after, what their life of their previous owners were, can all be told when you open it up. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I try to document a lot of that on my, my website. When I go through the workshop articles, I try to un unlock some of that provenance that's in the in the radio internally and try to and try to capture that as I go through the restoration process. You mentioned the 1950s. What are the key eras for these beautiful, bright, intricate works of arts that are that are also radios that we we are familiar with seeing? So radios really started at the beginning of the century and then um, they were more like curiosities until like the 20s or 30s. And back then, 20s and 30s, they had radios that were kind of like, you don't see too many of them around anymore, put it that way. Mm. By the time the 30s came around, you start seeing some of the tombstone and cathedral radios that maybe you've seen in old shows. They're like big wooden boxes with two knobs on it. And they sit like almost like as, as big as a wine cooler, like a small refrigerator. Yeah. Right. And then they went to tabletops around 30s or 40s, again, made of wood. Right. Uh, and then they started uh, producing Bakelite which is like a hard kind of precursor to the plastic in and around the 40s, mostly available in brown or ivory. And then the war happened and then everything stopped. After the war, people came back and they were like, okay, well, let's uh, try selling some more brown and ivory and wood radios. But by then, tastes had changed, right? And then also more competitors were in the market. So they're out trying to outdo each other, right? So if everyone's trying to sell brown and white and wood radios, you're not going to be able to distinguish yourself from the competition. So a couple of smart guys and gals said, well, let's make some bright colors. Let's start experimenting with the looks. Let's make these angles kind of sharp and make these dials kind of whiz-bang and space age-like. And then these radios with the fancy designs that I have on my website started appearing, you know, basically everywhere. And then everyone had to have one. So you have a lot of these really cool designs by manufacturers all trying to outdo each other with 
bold colors and interesting designs. So they were quite for that time. They were quite mass produced. Like it wasn't like it was a limited edition that we see with those bright, beautiful colors that look like artworks. These were quite readily available. They were mass production back then is much different than mass production today. Yeah, <laughs> you know so. Today, mass production is not mass until you reach millions of units, right? Well, back then, if you have a unit that sells a couple hundred or a thousand, even it's mass production, right? The only difference is mass production back then was all hand wrought, right? So even though it was mass production, you still have people hand man- making these radios. So most of these radios are handmade. Which is amazing, and and probably the reason why they're they're lasting now because they were looked after, but also the craftsmanship is pretty amazing. That's right. So in the late fifties, they started becoming more mass produced with printed circuit boards. But really, I mean, up to the mid fifties, all these components, electronics were hand wired. And when we think about how radios were used in in households, you know that that was the they got their news, they got their entertainment, they got their stories. Like it was the center of a house, so it's not surprising that they wanted it to look a little bit fancy. That's right. So just like nowadays, everyone's got you know the iPads and iPhones. Well, back then the radio was the iPhone and iPad. If you didn't have one, you were kind of left out in the dark, right? So people did buy many radios and. Every house had one. And then, yeah, people wanted the, the nicest ones. So then manufacturers start accommodating that taste with all fancy designs and, like I said, all these bells and whistles. And the question I hear you asking, because I was asking it at this stage, it's one that so many collectors of old things ask. What condition is Alan finding most of these old radios in? Well, when I find them, they're mostly in bad condition. Because quite honestly, these radios have gone through, you know, half a century of storage, and then movement from one place to another. So some, a lot of them never made it, right? The ones that did make it sometimes have damages that are beyond repair. So it's really getting kind of hard to find ones that are、um, not damaged. So they do take,、uh, they do even the ones that are well cared for do take a lot of time and effort to bring back to good condition. Does it mean as well that 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 fifteen dollar offset that you initially bought? There's no way that you're buying a radio for that price anymore. Yeah, I think the market has 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 gone up. I think I think nowadays those two same radios that I came across six years ago for fifteen dollars, I see daily on eBay or auction sites for close to sixty five to eighty dollars. So in the period of six eight years. We're talking about I don't know five hundred percent increase. Is that because people who are who don't just have an interest in radios, people who are now wanting to live that vintage life to have one of these on the shelf and and perhaps use it in their home, they're interested now. So more people are actually interested in this technology. I, I don't know what is driving the market. To tell you the truth,、uh, I just know I see it happening. Right? Maybe it has something to do with the resurgence of like phonographs becoming so cool now with the millennials. Maybe they're starting to say to themselves, "Hey, you know, they used to have old radios too. I wonder if those sound good too." And then, you know, they plug them in. They say, "Wow, that does sound as good, if not better, than the record player that I have here." So, yeah, I think people starting to realize that there's some relevance to those、uh, old radios now. There's a bit of an awareness that they're works of art, but also that it sounds good. Nowadays, more and more of the radios are getting added with Bluetooth, right? So you don't have to compromise. You don't have to listen to an AM station. You can just Plug it in and then pair it up with your smartphone. As long as you get the Bluetooth upgrade, 
then uh, you can listen to whatever you want to listen to across the old radios. I did see that, that you're putting Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, even those little um, home assistants, Google or Alexa, they can all go in these retro radios. I started adding the Bluetooth almost like a year after, like 2013 or 2014, and immediately they were getting sold. So I know there was a, there was an immediate interest in that stuff. And to this day, most of the radios I sell do come with the Bluetooth. But yeah, just recently, a couple of years back, I started adding uh, Alexa. It's so cool because it's just giving them an extra, you know, 20 or 30 years, hopefully. I hope so. I hope so. What started as a hobby has turned into a business. And Alan says each year, Retro Radio Farm grows a little bit bigger. He says it helps that he's selling such beautiful items and it's hard for anyone not to find a radio they like. When I go shopping for electronics, prior to working on these retro radios, really you go to an electronics store, your only choices are, you know, the sleek looking modern radios, right? Or Bluetooth players. They're all kind of like modern looking. So unless you live in a loft or like a contemporary type of setting, None of, this, none of the electronics that, that are being sold today match your decor. If you live in like a mid-century house or an old uh, Victorian house, you're going to put a modern-looking radio. It's a little bit of a contrast. So these radios, I think, offer not only a, a benefit for listening to music, but also as a decor piece. You mentioned it a little earlier as well. I love that on your blog that you take us behind the scenes, that you show us the inside of these radios, that you talk through the repair process. Do you think people are really interested in that, in what, it takes to bring these beauties back to life? I'm not sure what, uh, whether people are interested in the process. I think a lot of people don't under, don't really care to know what's inside the radio as long as it keeps working, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, actually, some, some people may, may only be interested in the electronics and the looks are, are only secondary. So I, I try to offer both types of content. Even as I, like, I know nothing about electronics, but I thought it was really uh, interesting to see the process and you break down all the steps that you have to go through, you know, talking about the first thing is, is cleaning, which I didn't even think about that the inside of a radio could be dirty until you mentioned it. So it was really interesting to see what it takes because that's kind of what we like in the vintage community. We're a little bit nerdy and we like to know everything that goes into it, even if we can't do it ourselves. I think so. I've had a lot of people reach out to me about what it takes to repair one of these things, what it takes to add a Bluetooth option, what it takes to, you know, change it to an FM. How do you repair cracks? How do you repaint it? So I I think there is an interest out there. And then there are people who come up to me and through the website and say, well, uh, how long does it work? Is it loud? Uh, does it require batteries? You know, how long will it work for? Do you have one in green? Do you have one in red? Do you have one in purple? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I've gotten my share of very interesting questions. <laughs> but they are, as you were saying, becoming more tricky to find as people snap them up, perhaps do them themselves, perhaps don't even care if they're working, just sit them on a mantle. What do you think that means for what you do long term as they become more expensive, even in bad conditions and harder to find? So it's been my mission to preserve these things as historical objects. I think it's, I think it's a shame that a radio like that would, that I found for $15 would then, you know, get, get taken home by someone who wasn't, you know, a repair person. And ultimately something that's $15 of low value might get into, might, might end up being thrown away. Mm. All right. And I think that's a shame because these electronics are not being made anymore. And these two and, and no electronics now are based on vacuum tubes with the exception of guitar amps. But nonetheless, to have something like that get thrown away, I think is a shame, right? 
So I, I it's like it's I'm, I'm also into classic cars. I collect and I also tinker on, on classic cars. And I, I know there are some classic cars out there that are millions of dollars. Right. And it just seems to me such a huge disparity between collectible cars that have gotten so much appreciation and are currently now being auctioned for millions of dollars. Whereas these radios from the same period are now getting thrown away in, in dumps. Yeah. It just seems like it seems like it's a shame. Right. So some, I think it belongs somewhere in the middle. Right. You know, maybe not millions of dollars, but, you know, hundreds of dollars. Then it's less likely to get tossed. A radio is much more affordable than a classic car. If we're comparing the two, similar, you know, there's similar technology. I know what I can afford to invest in. (laughs) I think so. I think even a couple hundred dollars is is a good investment for a piece like this that still works, looks great, sounds great. And it's going up in value. It stays with the, the theme as well. You know, we love mending. We love making our own clothes. We love people who are fixing these things and repairing them with their hands. You know, you have lovingly restored every radio that goes out. And that's that's keeping some of that vibe from the, the 40s and 50s alive. That's right. And a, a, a lot of these folks that buy the radios remember having one or seeing their parents or grandparents uh, having one when they were growing up. And to be able to find that exact model or color is nostalgic. It's also uh, something that uh, you can't do for houses and cars necessarily. So Mm. it it, it connects people with their history and perhaps people that they, they love. So at the start of our chat, you said you're not not a collector, and then you just said you collected classic cars. So do you have a, a few cars? Yeah, I do. So... I do have some old American I've, – I've collected cars throughout my life. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so what do you have in the garage at the moment? I've got a 1963 Ford Thunderbird. Nice. Which I, ju- I drove to work today, actually. Um, and then in the past, I've had a, a bunch of uh, Dodge Chargers. It's an iconic muscle car. Uh, also, I have a 1979 Dodge Little Red Express pickup truck. But that's it. That's it. <laughs> is tinkering in radios and tinkering in cars much different when it comes to classic models? Well, I, I think cars just exude so much personality. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's a labor of love, right? It's it's not practical transportation. For the <laughs> <Right? laughs> I mean, nothing about it is practical. No. Um, to me, to me, classic car is not just transportation, but it's also uh, extension of personality. It's an accessory uh, of my wardrobe. It's also a chick magnet. <laughs> as long as you don't mind the chicks being octogenarians, I suppose. <laughs> well, also guys as well. You know, when, God, yeah, whenever you, yeah. when I'm sure whenever you park the uh, the Thunderbird on a street somewhere, uh, you, you you get a bit of it. You get swamped with both sexes. I do. <laughs> so I it's do. attention. It's attention seeking, really. I guess it is. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit overcompensating, maybe. <laughs> hey, I didn't, I didn't say it. That, that, that one was yeah, on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan, it's been so great to chat with you. I absolutely love um, what you do with these radios. Uh, tell me the best place for people to find your radios. Yeah, the website is the best way. Retro Radio Farm. And, yeah, you've got a great social media presence as well. So if people prefer to go on the Facebook, they can find you there. I'm inspired to absolutely to get one to to go through this process and to bring it back to life. So thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast this week. Yep, thanks for finding me. That's it for this episode of This Retro Life. You can find us on Wooshka, iTunes and Stitcher where you can subscribe 
And of course, rate and review us so it's easier for other guys and gals to find this podcast. To get more information on today's guest, head to our website, thisretrolife.com. Or search This Retro Life on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We have some photos and videos and behind the scenes and a whole heap more retro fun. So do come and check us out. As always, if you're a vintage guy or gal from any era and into anything from cars to collectibles, we'd love to hear from you. Go to thisretrolife.com and drop us a line. Until next time, I'm Kaya Handley. Thanks for listening to This Retro Life.